receive discouragements. So lately, I somehow, I've been thinking about the death of dreams. Um, I mean, no one said anything. I didn't read upon it or, on it or anything. There was, there was just no catalyst. But I just started thinking about, about that, this topic of the death of dreams. The dreams that have died out. Things that you may have, think about your dreams, right, in the past. Whatever that you have dreamed of, something that you may have aspired to or hoped for, being shattered. It never materialized. And I think uh, many of these broken dreams are very difficult to deal with. Maybe some of us, maybe this was uh, as you were growing up, you know, maybe this was a career path that you were dreaming of or thinking of, or maybe you were just going towards this, this direction, this path. But somehow, you know, life throws curveball at you. And the, 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 the path that you wanted to go on to, it never came to any fruition. So out of necessity, right, you have to live, you have to pay your bills. So you have to just complete to, uh, uh, just 180. I had to just figure out different ways to somehow make it. For me, and for, for Grace, I, I got the permission from her. Uh, one of the most challenging things, probably the, the most challenging thing that we had to face was, you know, that we didn't, you know, we don't have kids, right? So, you know, when we got married, that's the next thing, obviously, is to, to you know, just have the, the, the kids, right? And, and start a family. But uh, it was just not in the cards for us. So when we looked at other people, like, you know, just like having kids, my friends, people that are younger than us, all those things. It was a very difficult time for us. And, you know, we would ask, why? You know, God, why? Um, so that the dream of having a, you know, the typical, like, you know, a family, uh, it never materialized for us. A very discouraging thing. Um, but, you know, everyone has different degrees, but have these dreams that you may have had growing up hoping and expecting God to help you or lead you in, in the dreams that you've, you may have had. But they're shattered. And when you wanted something really so bad, you know, you work really hard and you do everything that you can only to see failure. And that's really a hard pill to swallow. And as these disappointments and discouragements, as they pile up over the years, you know, naturally, out of uh, self-preservation, uh, like mechanism, it, it kicks in. And so, you, uh, and, and so we start to adjust our expectations. We lower our expectations on things, goals, the things that we want to do. And then we say to ourselves, hey, I'm just being realistic here. Just being realistic. This is life. Such is life. And then we brush aside anything lofty as, oh, that's just too idealistic. And I think it is a tension that many of us still struggle with. I mean, what constitutes being realistic or idealistic? How, how, do, how do we know? 
maybe even maybe some of us as you were maybe looking for in the last few years is looking for a house or something obviously you have to have a budget right and you know as you go you know when you go with uh, realtors you know for those of us who are in that experience before right and they sometimes show you I don't know, maybe it's their tactic or something. Sometimes they show you like the really nice house first. We're like, oh, whoa, this is so nice, right? And then so anything else, it's just like, you're not really, you're not satisfied because the first house you saw was like, we were just captivated by it, at least for us, right? Uh, and like we keep going back to the, the first house we saw and things like that. And then, but then our budget doesn't really like work out, but somehow, right? We try to just make it work and say, hey, what, what, what can we do, right? To get that house. It's, but what's, is it really being realistic, right? Or are we being so, like, caught up in the, in, in the, in the swing of things? And so, like, you know, there is always, many of us really kind of think through this, like, what's really I, my goals, my dreams? Is it really idealistic or is it realistic, right? And I think the struggle is real, especially for those of us who are perfectionists, like, or even, like, friendship-wise, right? What you expect from your friendship, right? Maybe if you just give this much, give this much, then you kind of expect your friends to give you that much back, right? Or maybe when you give this much to the church, maybe you're expecting the church to do all these things. So we have all these uh, expectations and dreams for each other and for ourselves. The thing is, the more failures and disappointments that that, that we go through, the lower our expectations tend to be. Is that where you are? Because you just don't want to get burned anymore. You've had enough of those broken dreams. And you've had so many letdowns that you just don't want to deal with them anymore. So it's just like, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Is that where you are? Spiritually speaking, when you attend church, do you expect God's presence in our midst? Are you ready to give your all? Do you really expect? What do you expect from God, even as you come together? Or is it really, a, uh, is it really merely a lip service? You know, I read a quote somewhere, uh, and there was, it was anonymous. I can't give a proper credit, but where... Uh, it was in the context of, uh, uh, of Sunday service, and the, what it said was basically uh, something to the, uh, uh, to the effect of a mature Christian. How do you know a mature Christian in Sunday service? Is that a mature Christian is ready to be edified at Sunday worship services. And I thought about that, and I think it is true. How do we know, how do we, how do we know if you're really uh, mature, if you are maturing in Christ, is you come into worship service and you're ready to really encounter God. God, here I am. What have you for me today? What would you speak to me? What would you reveal to me today? I am ready, Lord. Here I am. Speak to me. I would love to encounter you. I think that is a sign of maturity. Have you had an experience to encounter God? Let me ask you, this morning, even this morning, what was your expectation coming in? Was it just, 
uh, it's a Labor Day weekend, but uh, you know, I guess I don't have anything else. I, I'm in town, so I might as well just go to church. But I don't really expect anything. It's same old, same old. Same songs that we sing all the time. Same format. Long message. And then just kind of afterwards, just hang out with people. Kind of catch up with people for, that we haven't, you know, I haven't seen for a week or two. Is that your expectation? Even this morning, coming in. Now, am I being idealistic if I expect to encounter God as people of, uh, people of God gather to worship him in spirit and in truth? I don't think so. God calls us to turn to him and look to him, draw near to him. And I think that's something that, uh, uh, that I would really just encourage all of us as we gather together as, your, as God's people to have the anticipation Man, what will God show me today? What will God speak to me today about? And how can I, what can I do to really live it out in my daily life? What, what will God, I can't wait to hear from him and from the body of Christ. I think that's got to be our mindset instead of, oh, man, I barely made it to church. Oh, okay, it's, a, it's, a, oh, it's, a, it's an interesting song or I, I don't know this song or I just can't wait until the service is over so I can, you know, go out there and just, you know, drink coffee and kind of catch up with people without expecting anything from God. May that not be our attitude. Encourage you to really expect. What will you show me today? I'm ready. I'm willing to hear from you because you speak. You know, have you experienced a shattered dream so devastating that you don't expect God to do anything in your situation, in your life? Certainly, that's where the Israelites were in this passage. So what does this passage tell us? Uh, and, uh, and the first thing I, I think uh, it's, this passage tells us is that God is willing. God is willing. You know, after the, so this is in the context, the Ezekiel, man, we, we are on Old Testament galore, right? You know, past Jay's been like talking about Genesis and somehow I'm just, I was kind of inspired to, okay, I'll stay with the Old Testament too. Uh, but here, uh, the context is after the fall of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a spiritual, right? And the political center, cultural center of Israel at that time. And after the fall of Jerusalem here, the people were crushed. I mean, can you imagine not having a country of your own? You have no passport to identify or, or somebody that can, a, a, a passport that can vouch for you. You have no government who will protect you or serve you. It's like the, uh, back in the like, early uh, 20th century, um, during the Japanese occupation over, over Korea, right? it, there was about 36 years it, it happened. And uh, I, uh, during that time, there was just a really uh, exceptional, like, marathon runner. His name is Son Gijong, right? And, and he's, he's Korean. But because he was under Japanese occupation, he went to the Berlin Olympics as a Japanese uh, athlete, and he won gold medal, right? 
But when you stood on the, on the, the podium as a gold medalist of the marathon, right? The marathon at that time was like the pinnacle of like that really brings everything together. It has huge you know, uh, implication. And he had to stand there and then the Japanese flag would just go up and playing the Japanese national anthem. Things like that. And a lot of people, many Koreans, gave their lives just so that they can have independence without any foreign uh, you know, dominance. So can you imagine what it must be like to be in a place where all your hopes are dashed? And actually, in Ezekiel, uh, it, it, it means God is strong. God strengthens or God makes hard. And I think it's a very fitting um, name and the, and the message here. So, you know, this chapter, as we read, begins by stating that the hand of the Lord was on him in verse 1. And it is a phrase repeated six times throughout the book of Ezekiel. And it indicates uh, this overpowering um, overpowering like experience of divine revelation. So it is more than just simply like God speaking, like, you know, prophets, obviously, they would hear the word of the Lord and they would, you know, orally, uh, or, or it just, you know, like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, with, um, yeah, it's kind of like the verbal message. But here, it's a little different. He does hear the voice of the Lord, but it was hand of the Lord was on me. And it really just talking about this overpowering, overwhelming presence of God and his divine revelation. And this chapter reveals the apocalyptic vision that mentions the Israel's future restoration. Uh, now, apocalyptic uh, literature is not uh, familiar to, uh, to a lot of people. Uh, this type of literature really just talks about what's going to happen in the future, um, is, is symbolic, and it's like visionary, prophetic. And it consists of like visions seen by the author and the explanation of visions through a divine interpreter. So like here, the parts of the book of Ezekiel, parts of the book of Daniel, and we also know book of Revelation is apocalyptic, what we would consider apocalyptic literature because it talks about with a lot of symbols talking about what's going to happen, or even end times. It's usually, the apocalyptic uh, literature is usually written during times of oppression. And Israel is definitely suffering here. Their dream or their expectation of having a country of their own, right? The people that God called his own, enjoying his blessings, that expectation, that expectation, that dream that they had has been crushed here. They never, in their wildest imagination, that this would happen to them because God is their God. There's no other tribes or people group that would worship God or know him or to receive his blessings. And yet, and throughout the, 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 the history of Israel, you know, God was with, you know, starting from like, you know, the Abraham to like Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and all the way down to like, you know, David and, you know, all these great kings and heroes. They never even dreamed or thought that God would bring judgment upon them or wipe them out. That's exactly what's happening here. Their dream 
has been crushed. As if that were not enough, that the overall tone of the book of Ezekiel is really solemn. It's grim. Because previously, Ezekiel speaks of God's judgment upon different countries. God's judgment upon Egypt, Edom, that's a neighboring country, or even like Jerusalem. God would just pronounce judgment upon their own city, their spiritual center. So it, it's like very like kind of depressing as you read the book of Ezekiel. And in this context, we come to this chapter. And now Ezekiel receives a new message. What he sees here is a, is a great number of bones in the valley, right? Very dry. The bones are really dry. They're long dead, beyond the reach of resuscitation. In verse 23, it says, And he led me around among them in the valley, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Why? The question is, why all these dry bones? You see, the covenant curses have been executed by God upon his people for their failure to obey the covenant. God made a covenant with his people. But the Israelites, time after time, they just kept disobeying, doing their own things. So in the end, after sending many prophets, his messengers, they never listened. They still turned to their own ways. And eventually, God had to bring judgment upon them, as he has promised in the covenant. They were to follow and keep his commands. But they refused repeatedly and continued to defy him. So he did the unthinkable at least in the minds of Israel, bringing judgment harshly upon, upon, the country, upon the nation. The corpses of the slain left unburied symbolizes this, that there is no life remains in the bones. And the Lord asks Ezekiel if these bones can live. Can these bones really live? To that, Ezekiel kind of has a very, like, you know, uh, like a diplomatic answer. Oh, Lord, only you know. Right? Only you know that. How would I know? Or I, 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 I'd rather not talk about it. Right? He's not willing to give a negative answer. He said, no. Have you seen this, that dry bones? It's not going to live, God. He doesn't want to give, uh, give that kind of answer because he also recognizes the sovereign power of God. But at the same time, seeing this overwhelming outpouring of God's wrath that's been on Israelite, Israel, he cannot say, of course, Lord. Right? He cannot really say that because he has experienced this deathly and it's just like terrifying wrath of God. So he can't say that either. Since the destruction of Jerusalem, which was uh, the just judgment on her sins, now there cannot be, um, of course. Right? God certainly has the power 
to bring the dry bones back to, back to life. So the question is, it's not whether he can, is he able? That's not the question. But the question is, is he willing? And the answer is swiftly given. Yes, he is. He wills that they, these dry, long dry bones shall live. So he says, son of man, referring to Ezekiel here, not to Jesus. Son of man, prophesy to these bones. So that there were the, the sinews and, and the skins and the bones, they would just come together. How gracious God is. Because of their rebellion, Israel received what they really deserved, period. You get what you deserve. But that's not the end of the story. God is showing Ezekiel he is willing to bring, back, bring, li- bring life back into them. That God is willing. The gospel tells us that God is willing to put everything behind and bring us back to life. God is willing. He's not this reluctant, benevolent being. He's willing. In uh, Matthew chapter 8, it also shows, chapter 1, I I mean, chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. A leper, the pariah of the society. Nobody was to come near him. They were ceremonially unclean. They were supposed to stay outside because it's contagious. It's almost like, in today's term, like, almost like AIDS, right? But he cries out, Lord, if you will. He's asking, when everybody rejects me, right? if you're willing. So the question that he was asking was, are you willing? Because if you're willing, I know you can, uh, you can cleanse me from this uncurable disease called leprosy. And Jesus clearly shows, I am willing. So the first thing that we have to understand in our difficult challenging situations, discouragements, disappointments that we may have gone through and say, is God really willing to do anything about it? Does he care? Because oftentimes we, when we are going through really tough times, we tend to just kind of just wonder, where are you, God? I mean, do you really care? Do you see what I am going through? Do you really care? Are you willing? Or do I have to somehow just twist your arm? so that you you feel compelled to do this. No, this passage tells us, even after all that they have done, uh, done, there's hundreds of years of rebellion, and they did, Israel received what they deserved. But here, God shows that he is a willing God, willing to bring his people back to life. The first thing that was the, the willingness of God that is revealed here, and the second thing is the breath of God. 
You know, a breath of fresh air refers to a, per a person or thing that constitutes a refreshing change. Uh, I mean, for us, like maybe on Wednesdays, you know, we, we play volleyball or, uh, or just uh, another sport. Uh, it's like, uh, I think I, I, I just sense that like some, the people that come out, I mean, like, you know, throughout the week, you know, you get stress and, and all these things, but you just come and just have a good time, right? We just laugh and, and just run around. Um, good exercise. It's a breath of uh, fresh air. But when it comes to what God does, it's way more than a breath of fresh air because the breath of God is life-changing. It is life-altering thing. So here in this passage, as Ezekiel is prophesying, as commanded, the bones come together and are clothed in sinews, flesh, and skin. But the thing is, they're just coming together, they come together, and yet there is no life. There is no life. There was no breath. In verses 7 and 8, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. In verse 11, it interprets bones as symbolizing Israel's apparently hopeless condition in exile. Think about it. For, for you to grow up, say, here, and then out of the blue, there was a foreign, you know, like uh, attack, something, right? And then say Russia attacks. I mean, just hypothetically. And then just against all odds, the U.S. lost. And it says, hey, you guys are going to move to all of you guys. You guys are going to, you know, we're going to transplant you. You're going to go to, like, Siberia, right? It's like frigid uh, place. And they just leave you there, and you are on your own. You live, right? You find your food, shelter, build your own shelter, right? That's a pretty devastating situation. Hopeless condition. Now, does this uh, describe your situation? Or maybe your spiritual life? Your spiritual life that has very little spiritual vitality. You feel like you are on life support. During the pandemic, it was very challenging, ch challenging time. And many people, I just sense that, you know, as I talk with people, I sense that many people were like kind of on this stage. Where, oh, yeah, I'm just tired. There's too many things going on. There is no like work, uh, work family. Like there's just no balance. Like, you know, we're working from home. And so I just cannot, you know, just separate. You know, before we would go to work. And, but once you are out of work, you can come home and just relax and this is home. But now it's just like they call me at 9 p.m. or we have a virtual meeting at like 10 p.m. This is no balance. I'm just tired and exhausted. Or I just don't feel connected anymore. Not many people come out. I feel disconnected from the community and all these things. When you look at your own spiritual life, you may talk the talk. 
but do you have life in you? Do you walk the walk? Or do you feel like your spiritual life right now is simply kind of going through the motions? Your spiritual life basically consists of showing up on Sunday, Sunday service, barely. But then you just like, spiritually speaking, you're just not there. And you know what you were like before. You're thriving. You're walking with God. But now, after the pandemic and for whatever the circumstances, you feel like you're just kind of going through the motions. You just show up. Physically, you're here. But spiritually, you know you are not fully here. You just feel so dry. Maybe this describes where you are. You feel like one of these, yeah, I'm one of those long, dry bones in the valley. Here, Ezekiel's prophetic word is like God's word at creation. Because in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and new life was created. And here, his words, the Ezekiel's words are like that since they are really God's words because he's commanded to prophesy to these dry bones. And then the bones start, you know, coming together. Sinews, skins, flesh would come upon them. The bodies have, uh, have the look of the, the bodies, but still no life in them. Maybe many of us. We all look the same on the outside, right? We look like regular people, right? We all talk. We, we still breathe in and out. We can talk the talk. When praise time comes, everybody stands up and we clap. We sing songs. During the prayer time, we all close our eyes and we say a prayer. We have the look of being a Christian. And in our spirit, in our inner soul, is there really a life, spiritual vitality in you? Or you're still just simply going through the motions without any sense of renewal. Then there was the second command to prophesy to the wind. But they had the looks, but there was still no breath in them. But in verse 9 and 10, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds from all over, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army, the breath of God. Came. It is like the, it reminds us of the creation account in Genesis chapter two, and se- uh, chapter 2, verse 7, where man was first formed from the dust, but still he was not alive, and that God breathed on him. The breath of life came into him. Then he came alive, the first Adam. So the recreation of this uh, mighty army was this two-step process of forming, for, uh, forming first and then filling, breathing. You know, the word breath here, this Hebrew word, Hebrew for this word, can also mean wind or the spirit. So this breath of God that was coming in, it can be also understood as the spirit of God the life of God going into them. 
this breath of God clearly shows that it is the Spirit of God that gives the power for regeneration. The Spirit enters them and raises them to their feet. Despite this sense of utter despair, because in verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, this is what people were, people were saying, our, body, uh, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off, very skeptical. They were ex- uh, exasperated. They were very skeptical people for what they have happened to them. Say, it's not going to happen. Nothing will happen. But the power of God, the breath of God, can change even the most hopeless of lives and situations. I think one of the dangers of having, this, having experienced shattered dreams and disappointments is developing this being there, done that mindset. We somehow, for those of us who've been in a Christian for a long time, don't we have that? I don't know about you guys, I do. Because I've gone through a lot of experiences and a lot of letdowns. The things that I pray for, but they never were answered in the manner that I asked them. I've had enough disappointments. So I developed this, <laughs> been there, done. I, I've heard it all. So maybe for many of us who come on Sunday too, you sit there, when you hear a message, heard it all. What, what is there for me to hear again? It's easy for us to develop that kind of attitude. And that's what the Israel was doing. We're cut off, right? There's no hope. What hope is there? Despondent, little expectation, because you don't want to get burned again. You don't want to get your hopes up only to have it see it just it's only to see it crash again. But this passage teaches us. That if God wills it, nothing is impossible. The breath of God will will revive our soul. It will bring renewal. Maybe some of you guys may think, yeah, I've been there before. When I was youth group, college, you know, I was really excited for God. You know, a lot of things were happening and, you know, I was like, ready, let's go, God. I'm ready for you. And then you have hit the the depth of the, the valley. You hit the rock bottom in your spiritual life. And you say, oh, okay. Am I a Christian? Am I truly a genuine Christian? And you just doubt. Or you say, I've been there. When you see people that are growing, you say, yeah, I've been there. But eventually, they're going to come down too. They're going to come down from their mountain experience, and they're going to be just like me. It's barely surviving. And that's Christian life. But you see, what God is telling us is wherever you are, whatever that you may be going through, whatever that you have gone through, there is still hope when we turn to him. Don't say, it's not going to happen. And that's a struggle that I have, too. Because as a pastor, I've seen a lot of things. So now I'm, I have that, I'm speaking to myself, too. Because I have that been there, done that attitude. I just, uh, I just get kind of skeptical when people just, uh, or something happens, it's like, oh, it's not going to really, you know, it's not going to really amount to anything. Right? 
because I've seen how those things are going to just dissipate. It's going to just die out. But that's not the right attitude because if we truly turn to him, then he will come to our rescue. If you feel so bone dry in your spiritual life, don't just think, oh, this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Nothing good will ever come. God will not really just, you're not going to do much. I feel like I'm just one of billions of like, Christians, like, super duper Christians around me, and God's not going to notice me or like, I've been there, right? I know what it's like to be on a spiritual high. I don't want to just go through that cycle again. I don't want to get excited or just kind of dream big for God only to see failure. So I'm just kind of, I'm just fine where I am. I'm like kind of laying low, uh, no ups and no downs. I'm just down there, but I'm okay. I'm fine with my spiritual life. That is not to be. We are to dream for God. We are to dream for God. Because God can bring revival. God can bring renewal in our souls. We all know the the famous speech by Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech. Let me ask you, do you have a dream for God? Or do you simply just have an American dream fulfilling you know, trying to fulfill your American dream. Not only your uh, own spiritual life, do you dream for embrace? Do you want to see our ministry, our church, our congregation coming together? Even though we may have different struggles, it's not a perfect church, but do you even dream? Do you have a dream for embrace ministry? That the people of God coming together, we're reaching out, loving on each other, praying for one another, wanting to really spur one another, challenge each other, encourage each other, pray for one another so that we can go to a higher place, so that we can grow together as a body of Christ. Or would you say, ah, oh, that's just too idealistic. That's, ah, no, it's not going to really happen. I don't want to see, like, it just come crashing down again. So I'd rather, I'm just happy with where I am. I'm just fine. I don't really aspire anything. I don't have any dream for embrace. Is that where your mindset is? My prayer is we have to turn to him and start dreaming for God. Have a dream for your spiritual life. Don't just be settling. Don't be satisfied with where you are. I'm like, oh, man, I'm dry. Oh, well, what can I do? I just stay here. Hear the word of the Lord. He is willing. He wills it to bring renewal in our soul, in our spirit. And turn to him as we do so. We will see the work of the Lord bringing breath of God, the power of God coming upon us. Let's pray.